0: Before our Savior ascended into heaven after his resurrection, he gave us one command. And that command was go and make disciples. And so we've been talking about what it looks like to make disciples in our in our homes. We'll be talking more about that in our community and worldwide. Last week we had an opportunity to hear from David Mann, Reverend Mann, as he shared what's being done globally to make disciples. And uh, today we have the opportunity to hear from uh, the great Reverend Dr. Bob Andrews. I just made him blush. I love it. Joy, come on up here, Bob, so they can see you blushing. This is good. Um, Bob is a friend of mine. He's a friend of Beulah. Uh, many of you would call him a friend. And uh, I'm looking forward today to hearing what's happening in Chicago and Fort Wayne and Milwaukee uh, as <laughs> disciples are being made um, that aren't necessarily Chicagoans and Fort and Milwaukeeans (laughs) to to hear about this global discipleship and and ministry that you have throughout Devon Oasis. I'd like to pray for you, and then I'm going to be quiet so you can speak what the Lord's put on your heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Bob and and for his wonderful bride, Lynn, and for their ministry, uh, the ministry you've given them to unreached people groups, to refugees, to immigrants, who perhaps if it weren't for what you're doing in and through Bob and Lynn would, uh, would never see, never hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you. We pray for him as he speaks this morning, that he would um, pr- deliver the word of God as, as you would give it to him. Lord, we pray that you would remove any distractions, any heaviness, any burden that would keep him from clearly holding out the word of life. Thank you, Father. Give us ears to hear what you would say this morning. Amen. Amen.
1: Thank you, Pastor. I have one or two enemies, too. Not here, though. (laughs) It really is an honor to share here again. This congregation has served our family, my wife's family, for many years. And so Earl and Sarah, thank you so much. Just what a blessing to be here. We had a wonderful time in uh, Dr. Gerber's Sunday school class. And I want to tell you, it's because of you that God is doing good stuff in Chicago. Pastor Earl mentioned to me that Beulah is giving even greater emphasis, as he just mentioned here, to making disciples. Now, I want to have a little footnote. You had David Mann with you last week. I've rarely met such a gracious, sweet brother as David Mann. He's been to Chicago a couple of times, and I just feel God's blessing each time I'm near him. And so, so you, you were benefited well. Everything we do at Devon Oasis, everything is based on relationships with people. As ministers of the gospel, everything is based on friendship or at least a minimally just a, a relationship with the people. We work with a large refugee population. It's, it's the most densely populated community in America outside of New York City and maybe the West Coast. The most diverse community. Within a half a mile of our oasis center there are at least 10 mosques there are more mosques than there are churches i I mentioned to the sunday school class today i probably have more muslim friends in chicago than christian friends i certainly spend more time with them but it's all about relationship we provide material goods to people food We were in a mosque in Milwaukee last Sunday, a week ago today, and we provided over six or 700 pounds of rice, 25 gallons of oil, cooking oil, to the families. We provide household items. Yesterday we went to an Afghani home and we delivered simple stuff, shampoo, uh, other toiletries, toothpaste, Floss, toothbrushes, laundry detergent. These are simple blessings. But then we had uh, a tea with them. We had snacks with them, and we spent time with them. Not only do we provide material goods, and I should say you provide material goods. We provide intellectual help to people. A lot of the people come, and they don't know the language. The kids are in school. They can't really survive or do... They cannot thrive. And their parents can't help them with their schoolwork, so we help them with that. But in everything we do, we share the gospel. We don't shove it down their throats. We, we don't uh, hold out items that they need and say, well, if you'll listen to me share the gospel, I'll give you that item. But we unashamedly talk about Jesus to people. Just yesterday we were in the home of a Burmese family, a Rohingya family, shared the gospel with them. Earlier my wife met a woman from India whom we have served for a couple of years unashamedly shared the gospel with her. But it was all within the natural course of relationship. What I like to tell people is God does not need a passport to enter any culture. Sometimes it's easy to get very concerned about, well, I don't know their culture. If you have Christ with you and you genuinely love people, you can cross their boundaries. You really can. It's very easy to love people. To care for them in the simplest ways moves them more than a profound event or coming to a special service there's a gentleman who came to the lord he crossed the line of faith about a year ago he's about my age he's 24 years old 25 years old and He told me, Bob, when I was eight years old, I saw my family murdered in front of me by the government, all right? The government's supposed to protect people, right? But here he was in Myanmar. He was the wrong ethnic group. And so the government came in, as they have done just this recent year on the news with the Rohingya in Burma. And they burnt down the village, raped the women, killed the people. And he saw his own father and mother killed in front of him, his only sister, and his only brother. He was eight years old at the time and now he's in his mid-fifties and he went to many countries as a refugee. He first went up the river through the jungle, went to Bangladesh, and then they smuggled him across China. He was in India and then down to Thailand and then he finally settled in Malaysia where he was for a few decades until he just came to America. 18 months ago his English is broken but it's good enough that uh, he and I converse weekly we see each other 3-4 times a week and he was in there and he said Bob wherever I go from the time I was an 8 year old boy it is only the Christians who help me this was a devout Muslim man it's only the Christians who help me When I was in Bangladesh, an orphan, it was the Christians who gave blankets, who gave food. When he was in China even, it was the Christians who helped him. In Thailand, in Malaysia, and then he says here, you have helped my family for two and a half years. His daughter and her husband and kids preceded him by about a year. It was love that moved him. And I explained to him, It is because Christ gave that Christians give. And I was able to give him the gospel. And there in Oasis, he called upon the Lord. Now, I have to be honest. He's not fully walking with the Lord. He's in that sort of in-between stage. And he doesn't understand all of what that means. But that is what discipleship, that is where discipleship plays a role. It's one thing to call on the Lord. It's another thing to walk with the Lord. Jesus said some will sprout up quickly and sincerely, but they'll fade away. They'll wither under the heat, the hot heat of life. Those moments sometimes are far and few between, but they're always unexpected. What I have seen in my little experience there is it's always the love of God's people that moves them. I can debate Christianity and Islam with the best of them, no problem, but that doesn't win people. It just doesn't. We need to know our faith, but what wins people is your love, your kindness. Beulah Church, many times, You have participated directly in what we're doing. You came up last summer with school supplies. You have provided other items that families need. You you financially support the ministry. God has used your love and your open heart to bless so many people. What I told the Sunday school class earlier bears repeating. Devon Oasis is your ministry. It's the Lord's ministry, it's the missionary church's ministry, but it's your ministry. It's because of you that God is blessing. Now, even though everything that we do is based on relationships with people, uh, my wife and I have lived there this spring. We'll be 32 years in the same neighborhood. We've raised all four of our sons in that community even though everything we do is based on relationship there is a structure to discipleship today i'm going to give you a i don't want to bore you and make you run out the doors all right please don't i'm going to give you a little bit more of a lecture than a sermon We're going to reference a scripture, a well-known scripture in Matthew 28, but this isn't going to be an expository sermon. But I want to teach a little bit on discipleship, and I want to be very clear up front. I am not an expert in discipleship. I've seen many people come to Christ, but I've seen very few stay on to follow Christ to the end. Some have, and that's what you go for. But... Discipleship is something which is not a mathematical science. It's all about relationship. You can, if you're a parent, you'll amend this. You cannot predict how your children are going to turn out, can you? I've raised four sons, and one this way, one that way, and another one, one about four different ways. That's just the way people are discipleship is not something you can reduce to a scientific formula it is relationship based you you pour your life into people you operate by principles you base it on the scripture you're patient with results you forgive when people fall back you encourage people to continue to go forward it's a work of love it's a lot like parenting you, 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 you rejoice when people really grow in Christ and you weep for those who fall back into darkness. That's the dirty work of discipleship. And so when I say a disciple, I'm talking about someone who has indeed crossed the line of faith. Other people might uh, interpret it differently, and that's fine. That's just how I'm using the word today. Those who have made that initial step to cross the line of faith and come to Christ and it's a sincere step however there's another group of people that's very relevant to many of you here today and that is your children depending on the age of your children in your home and uh, your relationship with them etc they are your young disciples they're the ones whom you fathers, you mothers Aunts, older brothers, sisters, uncles are discipling for Christ. So, this isn't just people who have come to Christ for the first time, but it's those whom you know who are to some degree under your influence. I want to give a very simple point from our passage in Matthew 28. There's so much in this passage. But I want to just bring out one element, one aspect of it, and that is the need for formal structure in discipleship. Let's look at the passage in the Gospel of Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. I happen to be reading from the English Standard Version. And Jesus came in verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Now I forewarned you that unfortunately, I'm not going to give a full expository message of this. I believe in expository preaching. I try to practice it and I, I just think it's right. It's the way to honor the word of God. But there are so many aspects of this passage that we could give attention to, but I just want to focus on one quality, which is evident, but is often missed in evangelical discipleship so i'm trying to touch a hot button here that's in our family in in evangelical christianity i am happily evangelical i'm happily uh, born again in christ but we all have blind spots and one of them in the evangelical world is the need for a formal structure to discipleship personally i am amazed and just encouraged to see all that's going on in this world i cannot even keep track of it among unreached peoples among people's here in america there are a lot of discipleship movements i was encouraged to hear pastor earl mention this in an email to me earlier But also this morning that Beulah desires to give even greater attention to discipleship. I have so much I need to learn in this area. However, my biggest concern is with some of these movements. Is that they miss the need for a structured faith after a person comes to faith successful discipleship requires more than hanging out with them at the local pizza pub it requires more than telling them just pray when you when you feel the spirit it requires more than just love jesus in your heart and all that you do all of those things are good especially the pizza part but it's important that we see a need for structure in the discipleship of people. I want to just briefly look at the passage again in Matthew. A couple of elements come out here. He says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore. You go therefore. The connection between authority and you is just too obvious. The Christian church has always been a church with hierarchy, with authority, with leadership. It's not just Bob going to do Bob's thing in Chicago. Every step that we've taken with the missionary church in the last 10 years, I've submitted to my elders. I've submitted to my superintendent. I've sought the counsel of others. I'd say, this is where I think God's leading me. What do you think, pastor? That is so easy to miss in this passage. But Jesus sent a hierarchical church into the world. You go and make disciples of all nations. And then he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I'm just gonna touch on this as I mentioned earlier. But baptism is a formal, some people call it ordinance, some people sacrament, but it is a formal display of Christian faith. It is not informal. And here you have one of the most sacred utterances of Christian dogma in all of Scripture. In the name of the Father. By the way, it's name, not names. There's one God, and His name is the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The need for formal dogma in discipleship is huge in a lot of missional movements. Now, where I'm coming from, I'm sensitive to missional movements among Muslims, uh, both in America and overseas, and Hindus. Both in America overseas, but I also, by living in this country and aware of what's going on in, in this society, I, I can see some beautiful, some good movements that's trying to reach people. But sometimes the idea of movement, and I intentionally put that in scare quotes, is to set it aside from it, or ne- apart from anything that's formal. And I want to step back and challenge that view of discipleship. Christian faith at its very core, let's step back just briefly and understand the basis of our faith before we even talk about making disciples in our faith. Christian faith at its core is the belief that God became flesh in Jesus Christ. The invisible God is fully, not partially, He is fully encountered through the visible Jesus. The fullness of God dwells in Him. The first epistle of John opens with that which was from the beginning, the Word of God, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands. The Word of God became flesh. That is the floor of Christianity. There is a clear distinction between flesh and spirit in Christianity, but there is not a severe detachment. There are discipleship-making movements which claim to be headless discipleship-making movements. We just go out and, and people come to Jesus in some natural groovy move. And I know that some of this bears good fruit. But what I want to challenge you with, evangelical church, is we need to stay close to the Scripture here. God has come to us in the flesh therefore everything we do must take on flesh this is why we do what we do in Chicago this is why I deliver bags of rice to families who are very poor and whose cupboards are bare if our words don't take on flesh they're not really Christian words our ministry must have flesh, and spirit. Otherwise, it's a Gnostic ministry. Both flesh and spirit are needed for our salvation. Again, just taking the the eagle-eye view, stepping back and looking very briefly at Christianity. While our salvation requires Jesus' divinity, it is through His humanity that our souls are lifted to God. His earthly poverty... Leads us to divine treasures of grace, 2 Corinthians 8.9. His physical blood gains spiritual peace, Colossians 1.20. And the physical woody cross secures spiritual unity with one another, Ephesians 2. Paul was clear in Romans 10 that we are justified by faith in his hearts, in our hearts. But he also said that we are saved by our dogmatic declaration of faith. In that same passage, he said it. The ancient Christian Augustine confessed that spiritual food that I was too weak to accept, I just couldn't understand the invisible God. He mingled in flesh through the incarnation and I got it. Do people today need less flesh? And so what is the upshot of all of this? I don't want to lose you in these ideas, this theologizing. It's very practical. Christian faith has fleshly elements which cannot be neglected in our discipleship of people. Our discipleship of new believers regards much more than what the song says, and it's a beautiful song. Don't get me wrong. My son gets mad when I say this, but I'll say it. All you ever wanted was my heart. No, we are to also give our bodies We're to give our time. We're to give our finances. We're to give our sex lives. We're to give everything that we are, spirit, soul, and body to God. He wants more than the affections of your heart. He wants more than a Christian impulse in your life. He wants you to give your mind, your body, your time, your money, everything to him. That is what discipleship is. And so it's exciting to have movements where people join and, I, and there's so much good that comes out of them. But evangelicalism is naturally more on the spirit and less on the fleshly side of things. So this is a natural danger in discipling new believers. I see it in ministry to Muslims. And so let me give you a few of those simple fleshly Elements of the Christian faith, which, if you extract them from your discipleship, you you might run the ship aground. Your discipleship must have fleshly elements of Christianity. First one is just dogmatic confession. Oh, that's such a big word dogmatic confession has a lot of negative uh, connotations. This is what dogmatic means. Uh, In the days of Caesar Augustus, a a decree went out that all the world should be taxed. Do you remember that? Advent, Christmas. The decree is the word basically dogma. It means a binding teaching. Something which is incumbent upon all of us. If I'm going to be a Christian, then I must believe a few basic tenets of faith. I was with a minister who was a missionary to Muslims in the former Soviet Union, and he said, he he was visiting here in America, I forget which organization he was with, he was a sweet guy But he missed it on this point. He says, I work in a large Muslim community. I'm an evangelical missionary. But I never, never tell the Muslims that Jesus is the Son of God. Never. Why? I ask them because it offends them. Instead, I say he's the Spirit of God because that's what the Quran calls him. There was a brother, a missionary to the Philippines, a little older, but he said to me just a, a year ago, this old idea of Jesus being God of God, light of light, that is so useless today. We just need to tell people to believe in Jesus in their heart. And I do see something different in the Scripture. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, Dogma, those few teachings of the church, there's not a lot of them, but there are a few. They are binding upon all of us. What did, the, what did our Lord say to the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4? He said, you don't even know what you believe. Jesus is very dogmatic. He said, salvation is of the Jews. That's dogma. And in my Chicago neighborhood, hundreds, hundreds, even thousands, really, of Muslim children daily attend what's called madrasa, M-A-D-R-A-S-S-A. If any of you grew up in a Lutheran background or Catholic, you would know it as catechism. Every day for two hours from basically 5 to 7 p.m., the children, all the Muslim children go in the many mosques in the community and they attend madrasa. They learn to read Arabic, study the Quran, learn Muslim theology. They're taught well and they love it. One sixth grade friend, and they know how to argue their faith, one sixth grade friend of mine, uh, I was driving his family, he said, Bob, I'm really sorry to tell you, but you're going to hell. I said, okay. Uh, he's a Muslim kid. He says, I'm going to hell. Uh, tell me why I'm going to hell. Is he, he said, because you're a Christian. You believe in the Trinity, and that's really polytheism, and there's only one God. And I'm thinking, dude, how many of our sixth-grade kids could go up to a, a mullah in Islam and tell them that? But yet they teach the dogma. There's a, uh, on one hand, fundamentalists have caused division in the church by overemphasizing minor issues and making them dogma, but today there is a trend. It's called postmodernism, whatever you want to call it. It's not all bad, but they react so strongly against a dogmatic church that they end up saying, well, whatever you think is fine. Just love Jesus in your heart, Pastor Earl. And I want to say that's deadly. I do need to wrap up, so let me just uh, throw one or two more uh, to you very quickly. Prayer. Muslims pray five times a day. Do you know where they got that from? The church. And the church got it from the synagogue. Those who come to Christ, we've had about five people in the last year and a half or two years who have crossed that line of faith. From Islam, the very first question they ask me is, How do you pray? When do you pray? And I'm not saying be legalistic with structure, but we need to understand. The psalmist said, In morning, evening, and afternoon will I pray. People need a structured faith. So if you're going to disciple someone, we always begin with the Lord's Prayer. This is the rhythm of prayer. This is how we pray. We ask for forgiveness. We glorify God. We petition for needs, etc. That's structured. Discipleship must have structured prayer. And the third one is what, we're, what you're doing today church service. The church is an essential part of any discipleship. Discipleship begins in the womb of the church, and it returns to the church with mature believers. It is not something next to the church. I have found a young woman who came to the Lord a couple years ago, Muslim woman, uh, she called me Friday and said, I'm really scared. I'm going to lose. my." She's so sweet. She said, I'm scared that I'm, I'm, I'm going to disappoint my father in heaven. I said, why? She said, because her boss is requiring her to work today, Sunday morning. I said, no, God's not legalistic, but you're on to something is by the structure, r- structured ritual of church attendance, having a pastor, elders in the church, people who care for you, you are protecting your soul from falling away. So you should not take it lightly when you miss the company of God's people. These are few of the ways that I want to encourage you to, to see the, some of the necessary material elements in discipleship. Discipleship requires dogmatic confession, understanding Christ, understanding the Scripture. It requires prayer. It requires regard for those times together in God's house under a shepherd or shepherds, elders, deacons. It requires all of this. And that is just a little piece of where I would like to encourage you to, to pray and consider. And let me say this too, uh, as I close, I'm going to close in a brief prayer. Uh, I would be, this isn't worth a nickel at a dime store, but I would be glad to uh, share this with you, to give you more thoroughly my thoughts on this matter. But that is where my pulse is, where where I see the pulse in the evangelical church. As we go forward in discipleship, be careful of just these loosey-goosey movements. It needs to be in God's church and God's house. Beulah, you are a beautiful church. You have a good pastor, pastors, elders. You are a beautiful church, and you have done so much good in this community and, yes, in Chicago. And we are humbled to be a part of this family. We really are. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word, Lord. Lord, as I hear the words of Jesus, I I can't get away from the divine call to teach the word of God, to not compromise the word of God, Father, that your Son is the only doorway to heaven and that your Son died on the cross for us. And that Lord, prayer is something that is to have form in our lives, regularity in our lives. And that church life is part of our discipleship. That discipline is part of what will uh, help us grow and help our kids grow. Father, I pray your blessing on Pastor Earl and other leaders, men and women in this congregation, that they will lead this church forward, Lord. Just bless them in your Son's holy name. Amen.
0: Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask if you'd please stand and we can bless one another as we're dismissed here. After I pronounce the blessing, if you'd say and also to you, in that way we'll bless one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. May you be a disciple of Jesus Christ. May you be intentionally, relationally discipling others. And may the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit give you peace. Amen. You are loved. Go with grace.